Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM and reaching the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you can also keep up with our podcast. You can listen to this episode uh, and all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in, uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and you'll find us there also at SoundCloud, uh, at SoundCloud, at Radio Islam USA. Uh, if you'd like to uh, tweet at us, feel free to do so. We'll have our uh, our Twitter feed is, is is live. We are monitoring it. And if you'd just like to give us a call, let us know what you think about the conversation that we're about to get into. Feel free to give us a call at 312-750-1178. Once again, that is 312-750-1178. So, happy Friday, everyone. Uh, Juma Mubarak. Um, hope that... Your week has been, it's been a good one. There's a lot going on this weekend. Uh, and tonight, we're going to just jump right into our conversation. Uh, as usual, I think uh, the Radio Islam family is used to uh, me being joined in studio by Bubba Murray. Uh, and we're going to be talking about his recent trip to, uh, to Burma. Uh, and that is, that in itself uh, is going to be, we're going to need more than an hour, right? Yeah. We're going to need more than an hour. Yeah. So I just want, this is Bubba just jumping in there just yeah. to clarify, it was Bangladesh. Did I say Burma? You did say Burma. Okay. All right. Which, which I understand because what we're they dealing- They both start with B. But they <laughs> start with B and the, and the reason I went there is because you know, I was visiting the refugee camps. Yes. Uh, yes. The Rohingya refugee camps. Right. Who, and these are people who have been driven from, from Burma, Burma into Bangladesh. Yes. So. Thank you very much for that. Not letting me uh, get too far ahead of myself. So, yes, it's recent trip to Bangladesh, okay? And for those of you who do not know, you should know already, but I'm going to do this again. This is my favorite I'm gonna part. Give you this, I'm going to still give you this intro. Uh, Bubba is an award-winning writer, director hailing from Oak Park, Illinois. His background includes receiving the ABC Writing Fellowship, writing for Desperate Housewives, participating in the NBC Diversity Scene Showcase twice, and being accepted into the Fox Writing Initiative. Most recently, his short film, Robox, won the best children's film in the 2017 International Black Film Festival. Let's give it up for Bub. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, patting myself on the back. There. Yes. <laughs> Bubba serves as both lead content and social media director for Burma Task Force. So, that's out there. They, they know who you are now. They know. I can't hide. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so you, 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 went, you were gone for seven days. Yes, it was a, I was gone for seven days, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, March 22nd to March 29th, mm-hmm. and let's say I bookend it with two days of travel each time, so from the 22nd to 23rd, and then the 28th to the 29th, lots of plane rides, lots of shoulders getting bumped by food carts, mm-hmm. uh, but it was an amazing trip. Okay. It really was eye-opening. Now, what was the, what was the purpose now, the, trip. the purpose of the trip was I was doing some filmmaking filmmaking as far as filming the 
the daily lives of some of the Rohingya, and I was also chronicling, chronicling, chronicling the uh, the interfaith uh, coalition to stop genocide in Burma. They sent a delegation there to meet with and do sort of a mini fact-finding mission in the refugee camps, which consisted of them having holding panel discussions where you, you had delegates from America, uh, some ex-ambassadors, uh, uh, prominent politicians and other interfaith religious figures who would sit down and talk to selected members from the Rohingya community of people who were actually living in these uh, refugee camps and they would have an extended dialogue where people where the delegates would ask ask questions about what they were going through uh, different uh, situations that they've encountered what do they want in the future so 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 that was part of what the trip was about so I was following them and then also doing some filming and documenting of what was happening for my own purposes. Now uh, among among this group this delegation was was our very own uh, the chair of the Burma task force uh, Abdul Malik Mujahid. Correct, correct. Okay. All right. Um, now so so walk us through so you're on the plane you're getting beaten up by uh, food carts and two days of, of, of travel. Yeah. I mean I mean that, and that's where it starts. When you first, well, actually, I would say it starts before that, okay. depending on how how much faith you have in your own personal constitution. You start with your vaccines. So I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I was covered. You don't know, uh, you don't know what the situation is. You're going someplace new. Uh, you're going into an area where you hear there's lots of disease. Uh, people do not have proper medical care. So, you know, to be a responsible traveler, it starts with getting those vaccinations. And I didn't have much leave or head time before going on this trip. So I kind of had to jump into that right away. And and I bring this up for a lot of people. It's not a big deal. But for me, it is because I've, I've never been diagnosed with this, but I do have a fear of needles. I hate needles. I've always hated needles. So the idea of having to voluntarily have someone place you know an inch long piece of metal in my body mm-hmm. that's terrifying to me so that was the first hurdle i have i had to uh overcome you had to fear. want it you yeah. had to want it you had to want to go to that's to go through exactly that. so you know no pain no gain and like, actually the people who ended up giving me the shots it, it didn't hurt i was really surprised i'm so for all you youngsters out there get your shots if you have to mm-hmm. And then if you don't have to, don't. Uh, but I, that was the first thing I did. Got all the, got all my preparation, um, just in case water pills, you never know. Again, if uh, be, because going in, it's hot there right now. Hmm. It is, we were averaging 98 degrees, 100 degrees. Really? It's very humid. Um, so just mentally, I was thinking of that. Uh, worried about mosquitoes. It's... Hmm. For those of you who are in the South, you, in Atlanta, New Orleans, you know about the mosquitoes. So you just had to prepare for that. Right. And the, those are the little things that were going through my mind in prepping for the trip. Mm-hmm. And that's when things are starting to become real. When you think, I'm, you know, I want, I have to treat some of my clothing with, you know, special bug spray. I started to learn about what DEET is as far as 
what's the best thing to keep away mosquitoes? This is, you know, that's, I had to go. hardcore stuff. Yeah, yeah. This is not deep woods off. I couldn't walk around with a citronella stick. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to really, <laughs> I wanted to make sure that was all taken care of. So I did. I was very happy I did that. Mm-hmm. And so then the next step is we're on the flight. Um, for the flight that I had, it was two legs from Chicago, O'Hare, to uh, Abu Dhabi, and then Abu Dhabi to Dhaka, Bangladesh. So the first flight was, I believe it was approximately 13, 14 hours. Mm. And the thing was, I thought I was real clever. You know, I, uh, now if, again, I, I, I drove, I, I rode economy. You know, I went, I went with the people. Right. Had I gone, you know, first class, business class, this would have been a totally different, enjoyable flight, mm. sitting back, almost getting the great treatment. But this, you know, economy, you're ready to go. But but I decided to upgrade to one of those emergency exit seats, thinking I'm getting more legroom. But they got me. They got me because I got one of those seats that was right in front of the door, where the door kind of juts out, so you can't stick your legs out anyway. Mm-hmm. And then... I, it's been a while since I've been on a plane like that. You know, I'm a big guy, and I, you know, people complain about how airlines are just cramming people in there, and they sure are. I could tell the difference from the last time I did any long travel to this time. Those two inches in the mm-hmm. seat make a Makes huge a difference. difference. Right. So, two inches compressed side to side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I felt like I was riding the subway. For 15 hours. So, so take take us to, take us to the landing, getting in, uh, uh, get getting off the plane, and now you're in Bangladesh. Okay, so how does that how does that work? Actually, that was great. And the thing was that was great. That flight mm-hmm. went smooth. So we got in. I felt like I got the I was getting the VIP treatment, going through customs, uh, head, heading up right there, and then the the group they actually had a. A, a driver waiting for me mm-hmm. so i see this guy with my last name and the paper you know held up murray big shot big shot i was i was like all right this is gonna be some stuff i feel like angelina jolie <laughs> and i get up there and then the the uh the guy at customs the officer he's like just hold up one second and he's still looking at my passport and he asked me so well this is where i went wrong they asked me what number was i going to be using there and right. so i ended up I had my cell phone, so I used my cell phone number. Mm-hmm. So they wanted a local number. So I said, okay, so I'm looking up the number to the hotel we're going to stay at. And then the guy who's got my sign, you know, waiting for me, he's looking at me, is there anything wrong? I'm like, no, 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 I waved to him. It's a-okay. Then as I look around, I notice, you know, my whole plane, everybody else has gone through. No one else is there. It's just me and two other people. Mm-hmm. Then they ask, again, they ask me, um, what do I do? Explaining I came in on a journalism visa. And that's when they said, oh, uh, we're going to need you to come with us. Mm. And so I'm thinking, that's what? That's what every traveler wants to hear. Yes, in, especially in like now maybe if we were in London or we were in Toronto, I'd feel a little more comfortable because I can parlay a little better. But my, um, um, I don't really know the language. Mm. And when I mean I don't really know the language, it means I don't know it at all. So now I'm getting kind of nervous because I was detained with two other people. And it turns out they were also journalists. So they had us follow them to the to the immigration police office. Okay. 
And now I'm starting to get a little worried because I couldn't find this number in time. And I and, don't. And your Bengali is not up to par. At all. Not at okay. all. And I'm not sure what other paperwork I need since I showed them all the paperwork I had. Mm -hmm. So that's getting me real nervous. So they bring us into this room. And luckily, when they were talking to us, the other two journalists, the the police officer who, who was in charge of this or in charge of us, focused her attention on this female uh, filmmaker. And just she was just asking her questions. And that's where I overheard them say that they're just doing their due diligence. When people come in on a journalism visa, it's par for the course for them to detain them a little bit. They just, that's just part of the procedure. That's what they do. Right. So, okay, that's, that's fine. Things are still all right. Then they started asking for more paperwork. And I'm now I'm just sitting here listening and kind of panning around. I don't have anything else. This woman provides all these letters and everything. Right. And and then I'm just sitting there frozen, just kind of doing the smile and nod knowingly thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, they, again, they go back, take our passports. They take this woman's paper. They go back and forth. Oh, and... And when we went back there, I just, I forgot to mention, I told them that, yes, I'm an American, but I'm traveling by myself. These two are together, and I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. So... And no one knows I'm here. Right. So so when this woman leaves, I'm still just looking around, hoping that they will um, ask, if they're going to ask, wondering if they're going to ask me any questions. I felt uncomfortable volunteering information just because I'm thinking of old episodes of Locked Up Abroad. Maybe I'm doing something wrong that I didn't know. Next thing I know, again, it's a scene from uh, Midnight Express or something. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, they, they kept talking to this woman who was the other American. She provided more documentation. It looked like that was working. And then they started stamping her passport. They stamped her, her friend's passport. And then they grabbed my passport and brought it in with that group. So I wasn't sure, should I say something to let them know we're not together or we are together? However, it looked like things were working for them. Get so I decided stamp. just shut yeah. up. <laughs> so I just kept my mouth shut. And they took, they took those two. They asked them to follow another officer out the door. I looked at the lead officer, asked her, you know, is it okay? Should I go with them? She nodded, and I was right out there as fast as I could go. Okay, so you've had you've had one of those experiences that most most travelers, well, no traveler really wants to have, being detained in a police station, right, in and a foreign it, country, and it gets and even, you get out, and then again yeah, it gets even better. So after we do that, I find the guy, he's got the bags, I make the quick pit stop to the restroom because there was an hour longer than I thought. Mm -hmm. As soon as I walk in there, <clears throat> uh, two sol two soldiers, rushing right after me. So it's just me in the bathroom, two guys with guns behind me watching me. Again, very awkward situation. Mm -hmm. When I, I'm hoping they have to do their own business, but apparently I was their business. Mm -hmm. So when I turned around, they just they started questioning me in the bathroom. You know, like who are you? I gave my name. Where are you from? And I just couldn't help but stare at the guns. Sure. <laughs> you know, so I told them that, but my the tone that I used with that. Of, was that of a, just an enthusiastic American. 
I didn't want to seem too cool for school, you know. So just like, oh, my name's James Bubba Murray. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. So they just said they liked my hair. And then I <laughs> and then I beat it out of the bathroom too and I didn't wash my hands in the sink, but luckily I had a whole lot of uh hand sanitizer in my pocket. So I I mean I did clean. I but I was trying to get out of there as soon as I could. Right. And after that, then the rest of the trip was smooth. But yeah, it started it rocky started stuff. out with a it was rocky, but it made me again it made me think that this is real. Mm -hmm. This is a different. Uh, this is not Chicago anymore. So when did you start? When did you start your uh, the filming? The filming. When did you start I, filming. The filming. I started the next day on the twenty fourth. Okay. And, and and where was that at? This was in a. Uh, and I apologize. I don't remember the name of the specific camp, but this was in one of the the uh, one of the refugee camps in Cox Bazaar. And so that was when we first got in. We landed in. Dhaka. We stayed in Dhaka overnight. Mm -hmm. Next morning, we left at like seven in the morning. Took a flight out to Cox Bazaar, which is uh, right off the beach, close to the border of uh, Burma and Bangladesh. And then we, from the hotel where we were, we would drive about an hour to an hour and a half to the camps. <clears throat> and then so, so the first day we were just thrown into it. It was um, myself. I had a great uh, fixer or or translator mm -hmm. uh, by the name of Safi. And so we're in a sense... Shout out to Safi. Yes, he was great, amazing, my brother. And so we, in a sense, just kind of like your 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 partner. Right. I had the camera, you know, I'm I'm looking for sites and things like that. And then you're, you're partnered with this guy who's getting just to make sure you can get everything you need to get, keep you out of trouble. If you're looking for a certain type of interview, right. uh, while we're walking through the camps, he he'll be up there talking to people. He's he's my eyes, ears, mouth. He's all those senses because he can really communicate with the people. He's been there before. He's worked there. He knows his way around the camps. Mm -hmm. Because it, it when you're going to a refugee camp, this is I didn't I didn't get how large this place was. What was the first thing that hit you? When you when you you said it was about an hour and a half away from yeah. your hotel, so when you first pull up and the refugee camp is in sight, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The first thing that hits you is just the number of small little shacks that you see, mm -hmm. because as you're driving in, it, it's like you're moving, you're coming into a a neighborhood. You start to see more and more shacks built up on these hills. But that's while you're in the car. Right. But once you get out of the car, the first thing that really hits you is the smell. Mm. Uh, it's, it's unsanitized. There's open sewage. There's filth. And that it just carries out to you. Let me pause here for a second. Um, this is one of those things that we probably don't think about. When we when we hear refugee camp, right, we don't think about that thing, that element right there, mm -hmm. uh, that, that smell, because any building we walk into throughout the day, in our homes, going to work, shopping or whatever, we have the benefit of of indoor plumbing. Yeah, we have waste removal, and so you never think about, you know, you know, you go into the restroom, 
and you leave and, and it's gone. You don't worry about right. uh, any after effects. But this this thing that you mentioned right here, as soon as you come in, aside from what you see, then you're hit with the smell. Right. So you're hit okay. with exactly. So you, you get that you hit the smell. Then it's the heat. Which compounds the smell. Right, and the it's and then the humidity. So you walk out, you're just like, Whoa, this is hot. And then you think, Wow, this is humid. Do I have enough water? <laughs> because you're going to, there's gonna be a lot of walking. Right. It's very hilly. So you're gonna again you're gonna wanna drink, you're gonna wanna hydrate, but you don't wanna go to the bathroom. So you want to be very uh are there de- are there designated areas? There are. I mean, they're they're outhouses. Okay. And uh, it's it, it's it's still not it's not sanitary. So right. you don't necessarily want to go into one if you don't have to. I mean, here in Chicago, I am not the one who wants to go to an outhouse if I'm at a concert or at some sort of oh, uh, porta potties. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do a porta potty at Taste of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I mean, people say, like, those are kind of nasty. So, again, this isn't against any of the people or anything like that, but just imagine you're using a porta potty at a refugee camp with over a million people. I didn't want to imagine that, so I tried not to go. Hold on. So they had actual porta potties? Yes. Well, oh. they well they weren't okay. porta potties, I'll say. They, they were more like outhouses, and some of them had been the material had been supplied by uh, like NGOs. So, so there okay. was that. So actually that was one other thing I noticed branding. Mm-hmm. You don't think about it, but you see all the different logos of the different uh, aid places. And that's other part you notice how, you know, you're getting into the right area. So you see the UNHRC or the world, WFO World Program World Food Program. Mm-hmm. You see all the different countries with their different organizations, and they have signs here and there. So then, so you, it's it's sort of this this misery capitalization of of this area. But you know, people have their signs up there. That's that's a cynical person to me. But mm-hmm. but that is something that I didn't think about that I would see all that type of branding or kind of sponsored by. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, the, so that that was surprising. And then you know, again, you get off, you get out uh, into the front of the camp, and then you just start a walk. And that was what our plan was the first couple of days. We were just going to do a walk through the camps, see what we saw, talk to people if possible, and just take a lot of you know, just took a lot of B roll, mm-hmm. uh, just you know, shots of B roll, meaning just everyday background footage, footage of people doing their daily life. Footage of structures, footage of animals running around. Just this is the type of footage that you might use. If, oh, your filler stuff. Yeah, filler things that you use for transitions, meaning go from one scene to another. Right. But but it's gonna. It was a great opportunity to just go deep into the camp, and so that's uh, what I was able to do with uh, my with with the help of my fixer, Safi. Yes, Safi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So so we. Started out in just the general walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, again, since it's the first time I've been in one, I wasn't sure what the proper etiquette is. Whose picture can I take? How were you received? That's that's a no, that's great question. How were you received by uh, those who were in the camps? Well, just really a lot of staring. 
So I, which made me think, is this something that they're used, that people are used to just seeing um, outsiders walking through? So I can't say it's an American and I can't say filmmakers because you've got a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of different groups going through. You've got a lot of aid workers, you've got, you know, Doctors Beyond Borders, different types of journalists going through, some people with cameras, some people without, groups of two, groups of ten, people just mulling about. But as I was walking through, I got a lot of stares. Uh, people just, some would just stop and look at me. Some people would follow me. Uh, I, you know, I, became, I was my own attraction. Was, was, it, was it the hair? I think part of it, honestly, I believe some of it was the hair. As you said, the, the soldiers, they were marked. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's, there weren't a lot of people in that area that looked like me. Okay. And I, and being an African-American, I'm talking about Southeast Asia. <laughs> you know, there weren't a lot of people in the country that looked like me. There weren't a lot of people in the city who looked like me. And there definitely were not a lot of people in the refugee camps that looked like me who had dreads wearing some ridiculously loud uh, floral shirt. But it was nice and it was long enough to cover my, my arms, but loose enough to handle 97 degree humid weather. Right. So, so what would happen sometimes is like I just take out my camera, and take a shot of a building, uh, you, or, or or take a shot of people getting water, or doing their laundry, and as I'm setting up, people would start to mull around. They'd watch me, and apparently, th as far as their schooling's going, I think they've recently started teaching kids English. Okay. Because I heard a lot of little kids, three, four years old, they'd always say, hello, how are you? <laughs> hello. And again, it's, you know, I'll wave or say hi. Now, I'm not sure how I come off because I'm not one of those people that in this sort of situation, I'm not a type that's going to run up to you and hug everybody and, and, and play that, throw out my emotions that way within the situation. And... Mm -hmm. In my way of respecting what they're going through, I also wanted to approach this professionally, not like a tourist. This is still my job to try and chronicle what you're doing. So I also wanted to be as unassuming as I mean, it was hard for me to be unassuming with the way I looked, but I didn't want to try and take advantage of, of trying to get these staged moments and pushing people around and hey, kids, run around, let's smile and right. take pictures. Because it just, for me, it was inappropriate because we weren't in a situation where it's, it wasn't fun. Right. I wasn't, right. I am not a selfie king, so I wasn't going to run around with my camera taking pictures like that. No, not to say I didn't have pictures taken of me in there or so I could chronicle my time there, but I just felt uncomfortable with the selfie stick, you, you know, when the duck lips, <laughs> doing that sort of thing, oh, I, I, I would, I, I, I wasn't going to do lips. that. I didn't not do that. But, but again, going around, uh, yeah, I would. Depending on where I was, different types of groups of people mm -hmm. would just gather around. Um, I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, I want you to tell us a little, bit, a little bit more about that process of of getting permission if you had to, uh, however that worked. Certainly. 
Radio Islam family, we're talking with Bubba Murray about his recent trip to Bangladesh to see the uh, Rohingya and the refugee camps. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in just a minute. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library, and visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are broadcasting on WCEV, 1450 AM. Remember, you can listen to all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. That's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And remember to follow and like our pages on social media. You'll find us again at Radio Islam USA. So uh, we've been talking with Bubba Murray. Um, filmmaker uh, well he wears a few different hats but he just recently came back from uh, seven days uh, abroad he uh, was a part of a delegation as a filmmaker to chronicle uh, the conditions of those living in the refugee camps uh, the Rohingya who have been uh, pushed out of um, out of Burma and now they are uh, they are living in Bangladesh, uh, in these refugee camps, and one of the first things that he mentioned, and and, uh, uh, and aside from the excuse me, aside from the size of the camps, was the the smell, right? So one of the things that we really take for granted a lot of times in uh, modern life, power, right? Lights, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, air conditioning, uh, 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 indoor plumbing. Walls, right? Walls and, and doors. Uh, these are just some of the things that allow us to have this feeling of, of safety and, and, and security and, and feel like we're living in a modern era. So um, before we went to break, we were talking about, uh, well, the question I, I wanted to ask you was, was there a process that you had to go through with regard to taking pictures of people? Um, or was that 
You basically just look for an objection or an approval. How, how do they work? It, it was a little bit of both. Uh, when I was just doing B-roll things, for most of it, I would just plop my camera down and just point and click and not worry about it. Okay. Uh, and, and it depended on how long of a shot was. So uh, we had marched deep into the camp, and then we went up to the top of some hill. So if I'm up on the top of a hill and I'm taking a long, a wide-angle shot, then I didn't necessarily seek any sort of permission or or any type of permission, let's say. Uh, now, when I was maybe along the makeshift roads or paths, if I was getting a shot of, a close-up shot of someone, and it, let's say it was a, a woman with her child, just in feeling it out, at the beginning I was asking permission depending on how um, modest the woman was so actually you know it the less covered she was out in normal uh, in everyday life would the more I'd say reluctant some people were to be filmed okay uh, but if they had more covering on then uh, there was less modesty as far as the camera was concerned. Okay. And so I, I kind of figured that out. And, and then also my fixer helped me with that. So there were certain people, let's say, <clears throat> you know, people were staring at me. So I couldn't tell if they were just staring because they were curious or they're staring and giving me the evil eye. So that's if I kind of got the evil eye uh, vibe from them, that's when I would ask my fixer, to double check with these people and just see, is it okay if I shoot you? Is it okay if I take your picture? And that's generally for those sort of B-roll shots that we would do. Right. Did you run across any any people who did not want their picture taken? Some of them. But actually, <clears throat> people who didn't want their picture taken ran away <laughs> very quickly. So we so it never got to the point where I would ask and they say no. Right. They would see the camera get into position and then they just walk the other way or kind of walk around the camera very quickly. And I'd see that with some adults and with the children too. Like, you know, kids will be kids. Some of them were sort of kicking dirt down by me as I was setting up and, you know, as I was shooting somebody else. So then you almost play a little game. And then when I take my camera and quickly swing it around to shoot at them, then they dive away. Yeah. And, and again, these are young kids, <laughs> five, six years old, kind of playing around with them. But <clears throat> yeah, there was, there was an informal process I, I wanted to use, again, just to respect everyone, when I was getting B-roll. Now, later on, we actually did full-fledged interviews. Okay. And that was, that's obviously we got people's permission because we wanted to get stories from them and uh, stories about what happened when they came over, had they lost, love, lost loved ones, um, what sort of atrocities had they seen. Like, and... So many people were willing to tell their stories and and or you know can we use your house where where can we sit down and shoot obviously we need permission for that right. so that and again this is when the fixer is uh definitely crucial to be able to communicate these things that you're trying to to set up or accomplish so when so when your your fixer is communicating your your interest uh, or your questions let me turn it around when it was time for the interviews, right, these in-depth interviews, as, as the questions are being translated, 
Are there answers also being translated uh, real time in front of you while you while you're filming? No. Now you could do it two different ways. For me, I did not do that. Okay. Um, it's 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 a feeling out process. It and depends on the type of excuse me the type of conversation you want to have. I had purposely set up my questions where it was more about just giving that person an opportunity to tell their story. It was less of a dialogue and more of a monologue that I was okay. filming. And I did that because I didn't necessarily want to break the flow of someone telling a story by having the interpreter come in after every few sentences and have them break up what they're saying. I, I felt okay. it was more important that the type of story they're going to tell, I don't think they need to be in a, in a back-and-forth dialogue to be able to get across what they wanted to. I don't think I really needed to drag it out of them. And, and it's difficult when you're trying to do this through a, a second person because they're translating my questions, and I'm not sure if they have the exact translation, so I want to keep it simple. So that's difficult in that sense, but then having them try and translate it back because people, when they get emotional, they start talking fast. And, then, and you're not necessarily... Uh, catching everything they say and no matter how much you prep people by saying make sure you don't speak while someone is speaking and trying to have those little rules we know that that we have when we're doing the broadcasting when we're behind the mic or behind the camera to make sure you've got clean audio when you're telling the story of how your family was massacred you're not thinking about that so you're just going to be telling your story. And that's what I want people to do. Just tell their story. So in that process, not understanding the language, but picking up on the human emotion, how was that process? Did, were, did you feel uh, an impact, even, like I said, even without understanding or comprehending what they were saying exactly, did you feel the energy of, of what they were saying? Oh, you definitely, definitely. Because, <clears throat> I mean, it's a cliche, hmm. but... It's true that the eyes are the mirror to the soul. Mm -hmm. So in looking at people's eyes as they tell the story, as they as they reenact, again, these things that they – these ordeals that they had to go through, these horrors that they've seen, you see in their eyes. You see them change. You see them living through it. And then – and that's people who are telling their long – the long stories – I had some group shots of people, and you also had a way in these group moments, people were just dragging others up. To, they wanted to tell their story. Someone else wanted to tell a story. I, I, I remember I was shooting some people, and, and it was sort of an unrelated topic. I just wanted to know about how they uh, – got their types of ID cards and were their ID cards destroyed before coming over here getting get, just getting some background information on that but some from, of the, from Burma from Burma so okay. just quick sidebar it's just that one of the issues with the citizenship of the Rohingya is that they don't have the proper ID and one of the reasons they do not have the proper ID is that they were all destroyed or when they were running from you know the soldiers and getting killed they left some of their paperwork in their houses, which were subsequently burned and razed to the ground, uh, just totally leveled by the 
uh, Burmese government. Mm -hmm. So now once they get into Bangladesh, they really have no proof. And one of the things in Burma that they need for you to prove your citizenship is you need paperwork to show that. I think either your grandparent or your great-grandparent was there, but you needed their paperwork. So knowing the conditions or maybe not knowing, you may not know this, but the conditions that these people are living in, it's almost impossible to keep this sort of paperwork together. So that is why that was leading up to the questions of kind of the hypocrisy of this paperwork anyway. That being said, as we're asking those questions, I remember someone was telling the story about how in coming over there, they had stepped on the landmines because they had a lot of landmines that were laid out. And this guy showed me all his burns. Now, I didn't understand what he was saying, but I certainly understand what he was trying to show me when he pulled up his shirt and, and emphatically pointed to all his scars. So, yeah, I, I, I got that. And then I understood what he's trying to communicate when he grabbed a little two-year-old or three-year-old girl and pulled up her shirt and you saw all the scars on her stomach and all the burn marks. You know, I didn't need to speak Bengali to understand what they were telling me. Right, right. So, did you see? Because yeah. we've we've had the opportunity to talk with um, with a few medical uh, professionals that have gone over to offer uh, their services mm -hmm. there. Was that a common occurrence to see people who had sustained injuries? Uh, because my time there was so short, mm -hmm. personally, it wasn't necessarily a common occurrence. But it would not have been difficult for me to find somebody who had sustained those sort of injuries because that's how those people came up to me before. You know, so in that one day when I was setting up interviews and talking about Hankin Hat, we were going to question people had they, what they saw when they came over. Did they lose anyone? People were dragging people over who had sustained some sort of injuries or people were showing them themselves. So, <clears throat> like I said, I didn't. Because I'll say because of the scope of how I was shooting, right. I didn't see a lot of people. It wasn't like I was at, but, but I wasn't by any medical facility. I wasn't by the the doctor beyond borders tent. I was, you, you know, I was just in for most of the time. Meaning when I also worked with the delegates, I was in one area, so I just see people packing, passing back and forth. But those first couple of days when I got deep into the camps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I did see people with injuries, and again, if, had I asked, if I had said, we'd like to interview people who sustained some sort of wound or who were shot, I don't think it would have been a problem for them to find somebody uh, okay. who, had, who had been injured. Okay. Right. So you shot, what was your normal uh, day of shooting? So we had two... We had two types of days. So I'll <clears throat> the first day would was generally just we we would just walk in and just they called it just a straight walk. Just walk through. Just keep going as deep as you can get, and just periodic. Just take shots from where you are. Periodically stop, get stills, and then <clears throat> I kind of hiked up to the top of the hills. And I got to tell you. Uh, it really made me think about my New Year's resolutions of getting into better shape because those hills were very high. <laughs> it was hot and high, and I'm feeling like an idiot, breathing heavy, climbing up these hills, and you see these people uh, just with buckets of water going up and down really fast. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 
it's like man first world problems and i uh made my you know i'd get settled to the top of the hill so i get a better view of everything and then just take kind of panoramic shots okay then move on to another section take more panoramic shots and then set up again for interviews fixture would go out and look for people spread the word and then we'd bring groups over so um this was the first time i did one of these things so there was a learning curve as far as which was the best way to do interviews so when i first started we were doing interviews or we'd line people up and in the same camera frame have multiple people tell their stories okay and as, as that moved on can you 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 you've got a lot of dialogue people telling their stories but i found that became a little less effective then as it moved on i just focused on one-on-one shots uh and slight staging you know we find we'd find a hut someone generous enough to allow us to use the front of their place to sit they'd have a little chair and then just set up i didn't go into anybody's house some people went inside houses and it, it also depends on which structure you stop by. Some people stop by mosques or their meeting places or old schools where you had a lot more room. Since where we had finished walking, there were just maybe a larger house. The way I would set up is I'd stop in front of the house. We'd bring a little chair outside and then someone would sit in front of the house. Okay. From the aesthetic point of view, it's just you had you had the walls of the place, the background, you had some color back there. And, you know, you have people holding their kids. You still had a little depth, but it was still more intimate. And I and I liked the way that looked. You know, again, you're going through all of this and you're getting the shots and you're hearing all the stories, but it's still part of the job is what looks the best, trying to figure that out. And balancing my trying to be a compassionate person with still making sure we get the best work possible. So, so a little trial and error. And that, to me, having people sit outside the, one of the houses or the huts with that depth, you know, I thought that was the best setup. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we'd start bringing people over, switching them out, asking the same questions. And then move over to another set of group shots and that, and then move on. So that sort of became the pattern. B-roll, B-roll stills, B-roll video, stop for interview, trek on. And then just keep trekking and trekking and trekking deep into the camps. How long was that day? How long was a, a typical day? Uh, we, I would say about six to eight hours. Um, or wait. Well, it, no, no, it was a little, no, no, that's about right. About six to eight hours. So we get there almost like a, a regular work day. Right. But you got um, an hour and a half travel each way. Right. But, but you, the thing was just by law. Okay. You have to be out of the camps by 5 p.m. Oh, okay. So so whatever whatever time you start, you still have to be out by 5. And so depending on when we got out, first day we got out a little late. So, I'm, so, so we got out around like 9.30, I, I believe, or 10 o'clock. And that's why I'd say we, we might have gotten to the camps between 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's we had that till maybe four or five. And so, just spending as much time shooting as possible. And 
then I also shot other things. So I, I, although most of my time was spent at the camps, I also went to a few Buddhist temples. Oh, really? Uh, okay. We also got some shots of some beach footage, just just to get the different scenery in Bangladesh, to show the different, just to show, you know, you've got camps juxtaposed against this coastline, which which sports, you know, like the longest beach coastline in the world, that area. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was interesting. One of the most interesting interviews I did give though was with a Buddhist monk. Um, and he he gave his uh, take on the Rohingya situation. And what was great about this one is that he spoke English. So this is footage that we can go back and we can use right away. Uh, because once we come back with the footage, then it becomes a process of getting everything translated, which is a, another project all on its own. Is there a timetable for that already, or? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a loose timetable. Okay. So I will just say, we're trying to get the footage, first we organize the footage, and we're trying to get it out, I'd say by the end of next week. Wow, good um, Well, no, I mean, it's it been back a while, but, it, but it's still kind of quick because of the size of the footage yeah. that you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, we'll be able to get that out and get that process started because it is time consuming uh, to translate this sort of thing because you think about it it's not a one it's not a one to one when i mean a one to one translation it's not like if you've got an let's say an hour's worth of dialogue it'll take you an hour to translate it it doesn't work that way no. let's say if you have an hour it might take you 3 hours or 4 hours and that's english Correct. to <clears throat> to document all that stuff down so when you're so the people generally when we look for translators of the footage they've got to speak both rohingya and bengali and english because right. so so that's what makes it a little trickier uh to do that but uh but th but that's more of a post thing sure. uh that doesn't that we think about while we're shooting but that's not specifically related to the trip itself. it just gives it, it adds a layer of complexity mm -hmm. to but, it on the back end of it. yeah but just gives you an idea of when we're shooting why then it becomes so important that when i'm trying to get well this is why stop doing the group things mm -hmm. because in the group shots everybody started overlapping because everybody wanted to tell their story right. and it, and you can't tell them to stop just when someone gets into a story and people are overlapping and then they start crying and they're they're spilling their soul to you, you can't in I well, at least I can't do it. I can't in clean content say, hey, hold on. Would you mind backing up a bit and can you guys be quiet? Thank you. Let's take it from the top. <laughs> I can't do that. And that's where you probably you're probably gonna have to have people that are able to look at it. Right, they they wouldn't just be listening; they will be looking at the video mm -hmm. and transcribing at the same yes, time. Yes, yes. Okay, but yeah, it's just I I don't have it in me to right. just <laughs> keep starting and stopping and starting and stopping and doing that sort of direction, and 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 that happened a couple times. So it it that's part of that trial and error, right? Because it is this is what happened. We were trying to do something where um, I was just trying to do get a show of hands. Mm -hmm. where I would ask, I mean, these were tough questions, so I'd ask how many people have, you know, 
seen someone get killed, and I and you know I'm just looking for a ring, show of hands. Mm-hmm. But it, however, we kept doing it. The the people would then raise their hand and tell their story, and then go one at a time and tell a story. And, and so it's. I hope I can use the footage, but it really was not what we were going for. So it was it was heartbreaking and frustrating and all at the same time because I wanted them to stop, but I can't say stop. Right. And and then we actually I did actually try to do it again. I said, That's great, this is terrific, we got your stories. Let's try it one more time, but this time just a show of hands. And I had to do that through the translator. Right. And then the exact same thing happened. More people just told their stories. So I said, Forget it, I'm not doing it this way anymore. We're just doing one on ones. But uh, yeah, those, that, those were some of the, the 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 crazy things doing that. But but when you're talking about walls, just remind me one quick story. It's very quick. Oh, sorry. Yeah, thirty seconds. Okay, I'm sitting there filming this, filming uh, some people, and I hear this banging on a wall, mm-hmm. and just like this thump 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 thump, and I see this wall moving in one of the huts, and I'm thinking that I thought it was an animal or something was about to break, and then this the the wall starts to push forward mm-hmm. forward and then this little head peeks out and this little two-year-old kid who i'd been filming before who's just smiling like hello how are you yeah. and he busted through the wall to get back on camera wow <laughs> so that's a quick <laughs> quick shot so uh, there's a future movie star yeah all right well um radio sound family uh like i said this might be the fastest hour in radio we are uh coming down to our last uh couple of minutes here um when will will this be available to the public uh, at any point? I'm still working on it, so at some point it will be. But we're st- I'm going over the footage right now, and and so I'm hoping I'll, I'll keep you posted on what we do with the project. But right now we're st- we're still fresh coming back, so it's now putting it together. Um, what what's the Twitter handle for Burma Task Force? Oh, uh, BTF Force or BT Force? Uh, let me just give you our website, BurmaTaskForce.org, B-U-R-M-A-T-A-S-K-F-O-R-C-E.org. That's BurmaTaskForce.org. And then from there, you will be able to get links to the social footage media, and up yeah. social media as we move on okay. with the project. Thank you so much, Bubba. Um, all right, Radio Sound family, we've been talking with Bubba Murray, filmmaker, about his uh, recent trip to Bangladesh uh, to see the Rohingya uh, refugees. It's This is over 3,000 acres of refugee camps there. Uh, Over a million people. Yeah, we're talking about f- almost five square miles. So um, thanks for, for tuning in, for joining us. want to thank our engineer over at WCEV. Leonard, thank you very much. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Uh, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you the views expressed are those of the host and guests and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Inc. With that, have a great weekend and we will leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.